This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Kava. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem, and you are listening and watching Untold Stories, where twice a week, together, we get to dive deep and talk to some of crypto's most influential leaders to find out how this movement truly came to be. And today, let's dive right in. We, I'm so excited today. We are with Alex Thorne, the head of firm-wide research at Galaxy Digital, a diversified financial services company operating in crypto, Bitcoin, blockchain. They've been around forever. And Alex, you've been around Bitcoin uh, from, from the very beginning, uh, doing a lot of different things. Really, you know, even, even you're a, a self-proclaimed child of the internet, launching your own website in 1999. And it's cool because during the research, getting some information about you, it's cool to like be on that website. You get, you have held really cool roles over the years, managing like technical investigations for compliance and litigation inquiries, an investor at Avon Ventures. Um, that was a, par- a parent company of Fidelity Investments. And you were the uh, director of blockchain research at Fidelity Center for Applied Technology. Thank you so much for taking the time and coming on Untold Stories today. Really happy to be here, Charlie. Yeah, very excited. I love doing shows on the road. I feel like shows from the road. <laughs> I'm here in Los Angeles. We're on Sunset Boulevard, uh, Melrose Podcast Studio. I feel like doing shows on the road. You do a lot more research into it. You get to talk more of like things that are happening today. Bitcoin hitting, you know, going back over $50,000. Visa buying their first NFT uh, watching some of your tweets talking about how gold and Bitcoin are correlating so closely. There's so much kind of going on. There's so much. What are you working on right now? Oh man, great question. There is a lot going on. Um, <laughs> we're doing we're doing a couple interesting things. Um, we're building out a pretty big function, research function here at Galaxy. Um, I can't talk too much about that yet because uh, it's still in flux. But some some things we're working on. We're doing a really big report on layer two networks. Um, so we're going to cover all of them, um, all of the types of layer twos, I should say, from state channels like Lightning and 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 Raid into um, rollups and even side chains. You know, even if technically they're not layer twos, right? To really delve deep into um, how to scale blockchains and 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 also ask the question: Do they need to be scaled, and if so, how? Um, and and we're going to do a report that I swear everyone is going to be upset for me yeah. for, except uh, upset at me for. We're going to. I, this has been done, attempted before. We're going to put our own attempt on it, quantifying layer one decentralization. Um, I hope to even perhaps rank layer one blockchain networks by how decentralized they are. Not a simple task, unfortunately, but um, that's something we're working really hard on too. We've got a bunch of other stuff in the pipeline. We're always following stable coins, Bitcoin, ETH. Um, no, that's brilliant. Uh, that's something that needs to be done. And And personally, I've been trying to do that um, since the second blockchain ever came out because very quickly well that you know you had the early you had the early not blockchains but you had ethereum which was really the first one but there were all the other bitcoin forks but very right. quickly during those years we started to realize that hey decentralization is a path and that every blockchain that chooses to be on that you know with blockchain protocol platform whatever you want to call it chooses to be on that path or not some of them choose to be fully centralized or permissioned those you know for when it comes to compliance type blockchains or ones that only want specific permission parties to be involved in that. That's fine. But most of them are actually preaching this decentralization and governance, et cetera, et cetera. So what Mm -hmm. you're talking about doing is actually be able to create a metric for how decentralized a blockchain is. 
which one is going to be like the shining city on the hill? Will it be Bitcoin? That's a great question. I think it's it's likely to be Bitcoin. I mean, we're going to look at this in in across several different yeah, uh, metrics, a- right? Yeah. Um, and some of this we're still developing and it's it's hard because different networks, you know, it's not apples to apples, right? But we're going to look at things like how many nodes are there? Uh, how decentralized are those nodes, right? Or, or distributed is probably the better word. Um, how, we'll look at the supply, right? How centralized is the supply? Does that matter? Certainly in a proof of stake network, that matters more than a proof of work network. Um, yeah, and then some sort of, some things you can't quantify really, but we're going to have to look at and come up with a judgment on like, um, you know, how difficult uh, or how much of the network needs to acquiesce to en- enact a hard fork, for example, right? We know on Bitcoin, it's extremely okay. difficult, right? Um, but on other networks, it's not as difficult. Um, you know, how many validators need to collude in order to control or stop the network? Um, does that, you know, if it's five on one network and 5,000 on another, is that a direct comparison? We're going to have to hash some of this stuff out, right? Data is hard to find. And, and on some of these, um, you know, we're going to have to crawl some of these networks and see what we can find, right? There isn't like a BitNodes or an Ethernodes.org for like every single blockchain we want to cover. And even then, you know, we want to build our own methodology. So there's also um, a huge like socioeconomic aspect to it too, because you'll have to war game different blockchains. There are a lot of the same people that have worked on multiple different coins and tokens. There's a lot of copying and pasting of, of code bases. There's a lot of... Um, very few people involved. So it may seem like there's a hundred validators, but it's only run by five different companies or parent companies or whatever. There's a lot of work to be done. Why is it important for like an investment perspective? I can see why I would want to do that from a ideological perspective. I want to always be just being involved in coins that are on that path to decentralization, have a higher score, but from like galaxy digital, why from Mm -hmm. an investment perspective, does it matter? That's, uh, it, it matters a lot. It matters because um, decentralization is an important, you know, brings other features or other um, capabilities to a network. I mean, it, it, leaving the ideological stuff aside, of course, you know, of course we want, um, I think mo- many of us working in the space, right? And certainly at Galaxy, we're interested in these networks that can remove rent-seeking intermediaries that um, are highly resilient or highly secure, right? And decentralization is an important piece of that, I think from an investor standpoint, just very directly, one thing that really matters is how secure the network is. And, you know, if, if the control of the network, to your point, Charlie is in the hands of, you know, ostensibly a hundred parties, but actually it's only five, right. Then, you know, collusion among those five could be pose a risk to the network, but also the assets that are carried on it. It also is an interesting, um, you know, regulatory component here. Right. And we've, we've heard that uh, from the SEC, um, you know, in Bill Himmons' speech about about Ether, one of the main distinctions that he had made several years ago about why something could become not a security was its level of decentralization. You know, whether that thinking holds. I remember up the that. Regular, yeah, whether that Didn't holds up on the regulatory year? agencies. Yeah, it was. Yeah, they sort of gave some leeway there. I don't know if that thinking is still sort of in play, but I yeah. think it's pretty obvious that the more decentralized and truly distributed something is. The, the smaller the regulatory attack surfaces as well. In traditional, like in in stocks and equities, when you're doing when you're doing research, when when it comes to to regulations, when it comes to compliance, there's no like like intention matters, of course. But at the end of the day, it's the facts and the figures. Here, though, what we're talking about is intention, because like, how do you define the intention to be fully decentralized within? 
two years, like we have a mainnet launching in a year and a half. Some of them will say, how do you quantify that? It's a very complicated thing. Yeah. And it's different for each network. And um, I think, I, I just think the obvious thing here though, is that the more distributed a network is, right, the, the harder it is to shut down, whether by sure. mistake or by attack. You remember the debate used to be a lot about state level attack versus, um, uh, you know, platform resistant, right? You know, are you building something that um, developers can build on and know that Apple won't rug pull them with changes to the terms of service? That was one view, right? Or are you building something that, say, the U.S. government, if it marshaled its resources, wouldn't be able to shut down? You know, there's obviously a diverging views among both developers of these networks and investors in in these networks as to what is important and for what use case and when. Um, I think our goal is to just try to highlight that there are differences. You know, if you take something like Binance Smart Chain and compare it to Ethereum, which a lot of people were doing several months ago, it's it's quite obvious that Ethereum is more decentralized than BSC. But it's you know, if you if you really look at it, right? Do we? But you know, are investors aware of that? I think it's something that people should take into account as they uh, you know look at these networks, especially because a big part of the value proposition here is decentralization. Yeah. Who would have thought that the roles that you and I have where we have to just spend out copious amounts of hours in chat rooms and on Reddit investigating different blockchains where like that would be our job, become <laughs> understanding the nuances. You know, I sit in some of my research meetings and I'll say like, what would you guys, what do you guys need from me this week? And they just said, just go do you, Charlie. Go do you, <laughs> talk to people, read, understand things, and then come back to us every week and explain to us what's going on. And it's great. I love my job. Yeah. Um, I love I love it too. And um, you know, I just you know, it's been I feel fortunate to be able to work on such an interesting yeah, you work and disruptive a, space. You work at a great company too, Galaxy. We were saying earlier, some like Galaxy, Mike has has managed to bring on all of the OGs over the years, we're like the brilliant people between uh, uh, all of my friends from the early days. Um, I don't want to name drop people, but you and I have so many common friends and it's really great to see that you guys still are kind of like allowed to go out and do what you want to do and investigate and be a part of the community. And at the same time, like this is now, like this is the institutionalization of the crypto space. Here we are. It's It's been crazy to watch. Um, you know, it must be mind-blowing for someone like you that's been really deep into it for so long, you know, coming from bit instant all the way to where we are today, the market has matured so significantly. The market infrastructure is incredibly mature by comparison, even to just 2017. Um, you know, I, I remember it was hard to, there was there was no settlement. There were no non-exchange brokerages really um, in 17. There, there wasn't really any lending really that could happen in 17. So right? many now business have- models I missed, like just, just <laughs> custody, so many over the years, like it, but I'm happy because I realized that I'm not the best CEO. So better let everyone else <laughs> run these companies than me. <laughs> I, you know, I, I learned when I, I, when I did venture in the space that I, I might not be, well, I don't know. I've never actually tried to be a CEO myself, but um, it's hard. And, and some of the yeah. folks we met and, and, and also invested in are absolutely brilliant. And there's a, there's also, but there's a difference between being really smart or understanding the space really well and, and then being a great operator and, um, but just think about how many talented operators have entered the space, right? I feel like with every wave of, of you know, with every cycle and every bull, bull market in Bitcoin and crypto, um, obviously you have a whole bunch of new investors that come in, but some subset of those, you know, they're not just speculating, they end up staying and stacking sats, right, for, for years after. But then a subset of those people are entrepreneurs who identify these new, these market gaps. And seven, that was the big story to me between 17 and, and yeah. 2020. 
was, you know, these big, big companies that are now huge, right? And not all of them for the first time really are just exchanges, right? For so long, it was just exchanges and like Bitcoin mining manufacturing companies that were super valuable. But now we have lending, brokerage, yeah, like settlement companies. Yeah. Complete, complete credit and capital markets we have. It's like being rebuilt. The the Lego bricks are are automatically rebuilding themselves on the other side in this whole new financial system. And it allows for anyone who has just says, I want to be a part of it to come in. And there's so much to do. We have more things to do and products to build than we have people to do it. Do you, you know, actually I was, I was reading your Twitter today and it's funny because Justin Sun just bought like a pet rock for like half a million dollars on, yeah. on Ether Rock. And you tweeted that. I remember when people would call Bitcoin the pet rock. And I remember that too. Like, oh, this is going to go the ways of the Tamagotchi or the pet rock. Right, right. What, what do you think? Where are we right now and all that? Do you see the same parallels of like the early days on the internet as well? The same types of people and everything that are happening? Yeah. You know, it's I, in some ways, yes. And in some ways, no. I mean, obviously you have, these are proto internet protocols. There is, um, you know, in some cases really interesting, but still immature uses. I mean, Ether Rocks is a great example, right? One of the earliest NFT projects, certainly on ETH. Um, and, you know, silly, right? I mean, just it's the baseline yeah. of like, let's make a randomized looking thing and and use the functionality that a non-fungible token gives us to show that. Um, really a proof of concept, if you ask me, is what Ether Rocks are, right? So in that sense, it is similar, right? You started out with, you know, web pages with you know, don't go back on the Wayback Machine all the way back on alexthorne.com, see how far you can go back. But, you know, there's going to be like GIFs at some point. I'm just like putting a oh, GIF yeah. on the homepage, right? I'm just messing around. It's proof of concept. So there is Auto a lot of music. That. Yeah, exactly. I had Flash videos. I had yeah. made really good <laughs> with Macromedia Flash animations. Um, so it is kind of, we are kind of in that era still. So yes, the up, but, but on the flip side, like this is protocols that people can speculate on. And that that we didn't have. You couldn't buy you know tokens for for the internet. You couldn't buy, you know, if you were a, a fan of say like you know uh, SSL or something is the new encryption protocol for internet commerce. You couldn't buy like the SSL token and speculate that it would win. And and in that today you can with these um, crypto networks. And and that is I mean that that's kind of a game changer. I think that's why it really is an evolution of the internet and not just sort of repeating the cycle. So you're saying that really people have to, it's worth for everyone to understand this. It's worth it for everyone to understand what's going on and be the most like in-depth, deep person in Etherox or NFTs or whatever it is, because while many of these things are going to be fast and loose for an investing things, and as an investing thesis, like I know I was a first mover with Bitcoin as you were, but as other things are now, I'm like a slow mover. I just bought my first NFT last uh, two weeks ago. Or whatever. And NFTs have been around for what, a year? So there's, you don't always have to, you know, invest or buy or speculate on things in order to have the wanting to understand them. And I think that's a very, very important thing because just like you and I are talking, research, there's a whole business model right there when it comes to, to just research. Yeah, you're totally right. There's so much to learn. You know, I, I'm not a big trader. I, I tried to trade Bitcoin years ago. And, and in the end, I, you know, I yeah, sold a lot of Bitcoin, <laughs> sold, <laughs> sold a ton of Bitcoin. Uh, it was a good trade at the time, but, you know, I obviously regret that. And, and I'm personally not really a trader, right? So even on the speculation side, I think the innovate, one of the innovations is that you can speculate on the future of the internet. And that, that's crazy. But to your point about Etherox, I mean, you know, for NFTs, I think the, the design space is huge. And I think we could have, 
you know, the idea of digital, it's digital scarcity plus, right? I mean, it's, it's not money, so it, it can't be fungible, but you could have things like identity, obviously property. People have wanted to do this for so long, right? Remember the 2017, yeah. to like 2019, there was going to be stocks oh. and real estate on the blockchain with tokens. Um, yes. We just, yeah, we haven't seen that literally take off, but we are now seeing that people really realize the value in, you know, non, yeah, yeah, uniqueness. Um, and that that is a proof of concept that could be valuable. I mean, think about domain names. Domain names are NFTs by definition. And, you know, what's going to be the next? Are we going to bring, what, what are we going to bring in for meat space onto the blockchain here now that NFTs are widely understood? And I, I, I think it's going to be a lot. Doesn't mean that digital art and collectibles aren't yeah. also going to be huge. I think they are going to be huge. They are huge already. But I, I'm, I'm really excited for what comes next with NFTs. You're speaking my friend Drew's language. He's like the domain Sherpa and he's been trying to get domains since, you know, he's been trying to get domains on the Bitcoin blockchain since like 2012. You know, yeah. like he was, he's been trying to, do, you know, Namecoin, he wasn't involved in that project, but he's like huge domain broker. He's been, he was involved in the Bitcoin.com sell, buy and sell, like BitcoinWallet.com and everything yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. But it's so interesting. However, this is what I need to, I, and, and I don't know what the answer is because this is something that I, I think that the NFT or non-fungible token market needs to figure out is how do you have price discovery without an actual transaction? It's not. It's the the liquidity and the price discovery are problematic today. Um, obviously, there's there's some interesting projects doing fractionalized ownership of NFTs. Some DAOs are supporting this, right? It, it, maybe maybe something along those lines, right? You can see if you. You know, this DAO owns, you know, 50% CryptoPunks or something, and someone bought a share of the DAO for, you know, this price. Maybe you can extrapolate back. But it, you know, that... How that, is that, that not is a, a security? If I own an NFT and then I issue, like, pieces of it, you know, you yeah, get, it's, I, it's, it's, our community moves faster than, than, than anything yeah. can allow. It's crazy. Yeah, no, there's <laughs> a lot of big questions there. Um, <laughs> I, like, I think if you I'm remember... I'm sweating. I know, one of the only, like, comprehensive things the SEC has ever said about crypto was the DAO report they put out yeah. um, on, on Ethereum's original DAO, which they said was definitively a security. That doesn't look a lot different than a lot of the DAOs we see today. So I'm not sure how that shakes out. Um, but yeah, your question about price discovery, this is a problem that exists in art, right? I mean, you, I'm, I'm sitting in one of Novo's offices. He's got a bunch of art in here. These things, No one knows what these things are worth, right? <laughs> we maybe know what they last traded for, just like we do on exactly. OpenSea today, but we don't know what they're worth. Or like I, the bids or the offers, but even the transactions could be just someone moving it from the, one of their accounts, consolidating it into another account. Yeah, I mean, that's for on-chain analytics. That's always a problem. You know, I we spend a lot of time looking on-chain, not just for NFTs, obviously, for, for everything. Sure. And seeing what we can see. And you just have to be cautious with assumptions. I think a lot of people get a lot of mileage on social media, you know, talking about on-chain analytics and you know, even ascribing fundamental value to the analytics they can derive. And, you know, I think that space is a lot more nascent than people realize. I think there's a lot of alpha to be gleaned from looking on chain, but um, you got to be very cautious. Yeah, I don't know on NFTs, though. I yeah. think that's something we have to figure out. If they can't trade in a live market, there's only one of them. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's the most difficult. That's the most difficult thing. It's 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 price discovery, but I, I'm sure, I, I think it'll be figured out. Um, and once that's figured out, then I think you'll see a lot more people move their potential real estate and, and tokenize it because I think the tokenization of real estate buildings, businesses, so many businesses that can be tokenized. I think what it comes down to is 
if you can figure out a way to have price discovery without having to have a transaction, more people would be willing to tokenize their real estate because then they have yeah. the potential of being able to sell it or something. Something maybe with zero knowledge proofs where you could su- yeah. submit sealed sealed bids um, that to, the, to the too. asset owner or something. Because you also don't necessarily want you either as the bidder or as the owner necessarily want that stuff visible until the transaction occurs, right? Um, so maybe maybe something with like zero knowledge proofs or some kind of um, you know homomorphic encryption. I wanted to congratulate our sponsor Kava because Circle chose the Kava platform as one of their newest blockchains and protocols they're going to be launching USDC on. Traditionally, USDC has only been on Ethereum and one or two other chains like Tron. But now there's a bunch of other blockchains. The Kava platform is one of them. And you can access all of those super cool DeFi high yield opportunities that are on the Kava platform now with USDC, which we know and love. So check them out at untoldstories.link forward slash Kava. And congratulations, guys. Having Circle choose y'all as the top blockchain for USDC to be launched on is a big freaking deal. One of the points that I wanted to get across, you know, as we as we are where we are on the show right now is that my listeners know, the listeners, they know that how important this stuff is, but they're talking to their friends and their family and people are scoffing at at NFTs, at a lot of what's going on in the crypto world today. They're scoffing at it because we we're, we don't our community, we don't take ourselves very seriously. So we're on crypto Twitter, we're on social media and we're joking around you know justin sun is joking around about the the pet rock <laughs> where we have to be poking at each other the day we make ourselves too serious the day we take ourselves too seriously i think is is when we start failing as a as a community and so because we don't take ourselves too seriously even at a very professional scale a lot of the the mainstream media won't take us seriously and therefore our friends and family won't take us seriously and then we won't talk about these things with them that's a wrong idea because they they are going to miss out and they're going to blame you for missing out because they blame you for missing out on Bitcoin and everything else. It's hard to take something like Ether Rocks or even, you know, Pudgy Penguins and these funny um, projects that are fun and funny. They're genuinely funny and they're but they're cool, but they're powerful, um, at least at least what they represent. Right. The, the 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 future that becomes possible or Bitcoin. Right. I mean, Bitcoin in particular to me is, you know, dear to my heart. And, you know, you talk about people are, you know, buying stuff, you know, buying stuff, you know, with pennies over lightning network. And they're like, oh, great. You know, I've had critics say like, you know, yeah. what do I need to pay, buy? I don't buy anything that's worth a penny. Why do I care? Right. And it's like, well, if you start talking about streaming money, right, we start talking about international um, payments with no, with essentially no fees. That's, that's, that's the way that you can get through to these folks. If you talk about NFTs as, you know, Look at that deed to your house. Look at that contract you just signed with your your lawyer or your vendor, right? What if those things can be, you know, not only recorded uh, immutably and stored and tracked, right? But what if they can be swapped, right? And and the token becomes an asset in and of itself. I was trying to explain. So like my brother-in-law owns a painting business and he's got dozens of contracts coming in all the time. He'll have monthly contracts with people. What right. if all of those contracts could become tokenized in and of itself and they become the asset? So you have this 10-year business that it seems to have no value because it's only brought in as much value as, as you live off of it. It's an owner-operator business type of thing. But if, if, if you can create assets now out of a untokenizable business before, I mean, that's freaking powerful. Yeah, and you can like show and prove that business's future value. You can get a right? mortgage so from, out of that. Exactly, credit, exactly. 
Um, and then also just, again, the decentralized concept of this too. We're going through, let's say I have this future value in my business and I maybe want to sell it, my, my personal business, as you mentioned. Um, you know, I'm going to have to what, get like an auditor or somebody to come in and show and, and attest that I have these things lined up, these future um, engagements. Whereas, you know, today you know, with NFTs or, or any kind of peer-to-peer, you know, transparent ledger, we could, you know, just prove it like casually that exactly. like, I have this business lined up. I think it's hard Casually. to see a future. Yeah, I think it's hard to foresee a future where humanity in general it has been highly successful, um, where we don't have the ability to seamlessly interact with each other without an intermediary. I, to me, that's a hard pill to it's swallow. It's a hard that, sell. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's another way I always think about this is like, let's say, you know, Elon is right. We become an interplanetary uh, species. I think a lot of folks in the long run for humanity think that, and, and not just for humanity, for any any species floating on a rock in space, right? That that's a liability. You only got one home, right? An asteroid or something. If we're going to expand beyond, let's, let's imagine that we're an interesting oh, you're right. species. I, yeah. How do we, do we really think that we're going to be like living on, you know, a moon orbiting, like, you know, living on Triton or something. And when we need to like, you know, transact that they're going to like send a radio wave down to the New York fed is crazy, right? That stuff's Good all going to be peer to peer. There's the, yeah, it's it's to me. It seems like I played Civilization a lot growing up that game, and it seems like a very clear rung on like the technological advancement of civilization that we adopt this ability to transact peer to peer, and that includes, like you said, I mean, with contracts with each other. That's where aliens come from. Uh, in in hundreds of years from now, when we are living like humans are living on multiple planets, when you have multiple generations, just like two or three, the the children born on the other planet three generations later are going to be completely different human beings. We may not even be called humans than the ones maybe born on Earth or another planet that we're living on. How It's a, it's a scary thing to think about, but it's it's going to happen. And this just seems like core tech to help get us there. You know, yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't, like, I don't see how we can, we just won't have, we won't be advanced. This is crazy. So there are so, there are so many interactions that where if we had had the ability to, to do it peer to peer, we would have, right? And and so many of the centralized intermediaries that we have today were born out of the lack of ability to, to do what we wanted in a peer to peer fashion. But I think we we increasingly have those abilities. So it's time to start using them. Everything we know about humanity and how we act and react and treat each other and act towards each other, we've known for hundreds, thousands, for since the beginning of time, human interaction has been studied. And what we know about people is that monetary gain and social validation are the two probably biggest incentivization, you know, incentivizing greed and not wanting to be buried in a grave alone. Are probably the two most powerful motivators for, for, for humankind forever. So the biggest elephant in the room that I kind of want to understand, and I don't know if you've thought about this, is what will it mean? What does it mean for the world and kind of why no one's talking about it? The fact that you have this guy named Satoshi, an anonymous coder who never actually attempted or has realized the gain, not just the monetary gain, but also the social clout gain from this whole thing. How do we like, as human, how do we rationalize that so we can then be comfortable with this thing for then hundreds of years to come? It's That's what makes Bitcoin so metal, right? I mean, that's what's so crazy. It's a sci-fi writer's dream. Um, it's, I, I don't understand. I, you're right. I think it's a, it's a phenomenally interesting question because it's so to your point outside the, the norms of human behavior to do what Satoshi did. Um, but I, I am a firm believer that it's also one of the things that gives Bitcoin so much value 
and it's also something that can't be repeated. Um, you know, where Bitcoin, no one could ever have as true and fair a launch as Bitcoin. I look, if it, it, yeah. I, I think I'm I'm firmly in the camp that if Satoshi returns, that's you know, I'm not I don't even forget even bearish for Bitcoin's price in, in dollar terms. That's just bad, right? For the, so, like, the whole experiment, yeah, the whole social yeah. experiment goes away. I mean, yeah. literally, if you had written this like There's 20 no years ago as a sci-fi story, this it, this would be a banger. Like, this is a epic sci-fi tale. <laughs> You're right. Like, I bet you Neil Stevenson's like, why did I think of this? Yeah. Of everything else, but I've not yeah. thought of this one. <laughs> I'm thinking about like, um, like Ender's Game and that series I loved, I really loved. And this, again, it just feels like this is really, it's really futuristic. A person on the internet so did the, this anonymously. I've, yeah. I've thought about it and, and I really think that you can have so many answers, but if you just take the answer that it was a dozen of brilliant minds and thinkers who potentially realized that they could create something great, but the only way to do, and like, there was such a need for humankind. How did, how did the folks or the one person who Satoshi had a group, how did they realize that humanity is going, it was at like a, like at a runway of needing cryptocurrency or just needing a solution to the Byzantine general's problem because we had the internet for so long, but it seemed like we were plateauing with what we could do on the internet. It seemed like Web3 was never coming. And it wasn't until blockchain technology, Bitcoin, Byzantine general's problem was solved in 2008. That's when we could get to that next level. I, I just can't fathom that. I know it seems like too... Um brilliant to be really be possible. Yeah. It's like one of these breakthroughs, you know, part of me, I always like the idea that, um, you know, you, you may have heard this, but you know, like agriculture was like discovered simultaneously all around the world, you know, by, by, you know, civilizations that weren't in contact with each other. Right. Really? It's, I, I, I've heard, I've heard that, this, I, you know, something like this. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Um, but th these advancements often just sort of like they, they come and obviously we know, you know, Satoshi didn't build Bitcoin in a, in a vacuum, right? There's decades of, of work that went into that. He built, he or she built on top of it, right? You know, we've got everything back to, you know, DigiCash and, you know, equal it was really an amalgamation of so many different things over the it years. It was, yeah. right? Re re reusable proofs of work and hash cash and all that stuff. Um, so it wasn't in a box, but you're right. It's at some point, it was at a perfect time, a time when banking was, you know, one of the least trusted institutions in the world. It had, you know, many had viewed, you know, the Great Recession as being caused by the failures of centralized intermediaries. It's crazy. It's, it is. It's too beautiful. The timing and the and the and the innovation. I mean, it's just so massive. So routinely blows my mind, and I've been looking at it for years. What should the listeners look, be looking at right now? What are you studying? What are you spending uh, the most time yeah. on when it comes to your like medium term research? Oh man, um, we're still looking a lot at Bitcoin adoption. That's one thing I think a lot of people are writing off because of the really um, fascinating and innovative capitalism and capitalist structures that are being developed on other networks, which we're looking at also. But I, I don't sleep on Bitcoin. I think we have a long road ahead of us for Bitcoin adoption. Oh, yeah. um, and that includes through things like the Lightning Network. I hope it will include things like DeFi on Bitcoin, um, which I think could be really powerful. Um, so uh, we spend a lot of time on Bitcoin still. I know, you know, but we also spend, we spend a ton of time on on DeFi broadly, include you know, particularly on Ethereum, um, but also on other networks. 
we spend a lot of time contemplating the the demands and realities of what a multi-chain world looks like. That's what um, I spend time figuring out too. I'm I'm trying to figure that out as well. What are the demands and needs for those? Yeah, for, I, I mean, yeah. especially with like cross-chain bridges, L1s and L2s, I think bridges between L2s, it's not clear what that topography or topology is going to look like. Um, but I think it is increasingly likely that there is a long-term multi-chain world here. Um, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, some of my Bitcoiner friends sure. would be upset with me for saying that, but I mean, the reality no, is it's fine. reality. Um, and I think we'll see um, a lot of value accrue at the sort of bridges between networks is an interesting, interesting area to watch. Um, because that, this is one area where Ethereum has such an advantage, right? Most of the assets people want in the crypto world are, are on Ethereum. Um, so we've yeah, seen they so many move. layer ones then bridge those, right? Or so instead they, they basically get copied, right? Like, so they, you know, you make a wrapped version of some ERC-20 token and put it on, you know, Solana or something like that. Um, that's increasingly happening. And, and um, another important thing too, this goes along with the Bitcoin adoption and, and this other point about L1s and, and bridges is um, it's getting easier to use. Bitcoin wallets are easier to use. It is. Yeah. And, and even like MetaMask, it's not even the only one. You've got Phantom. You've got all these other like in-browser wallets that are easier to use. I, I love the concept of the countless internet, right? So we call it like a crypto single sign-on, right? Um, I don't want to have to give all my information. Just let me sign a message. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. And actually that's, that's what uh, I was talking. We had a lightning developer on the show recently and he was telling me that, well, and actually there's a great metric just, I tweeted this morning that 70% of the Bitcoin, uh, has not moved in the last six months. And that leads that kind of validates what we talked about. I talked with him about last week was that, um, most people, not most people, but a lot of people don't want to move their Bitcoin but they want to be able to do stuff with their Bitcoin without having to move it. Yep. Yeah. Locking it up in, in an escrow and using it on lightning is a, yes. is a, is a great idea. I think, look, I mean, Bitcoiners rightly so are incredibly risk averse with their coins and they, we don't want to use Bitcoin as gas on an, on a system. We don't, I don't want to and give up Bitcoin as no. Yeah. And we don't want to bog down our network with like smart contracts and stuff that like an EVM, like, right. I think there's a good differentiation. Exactly. I, I love all the innovation happening like on EVM chains, right? And 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 like that I was just saying the most interesting thing to me is the 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 innovation, innovative capitalism happening um on, on those networks. But there's a what I also love is that we've seen a real differentiation emerge from Bitcoin's approach to these other networks. Yes, approaches. exactly. And, and I choose Bitcoin for a lot of these things, right? Like, I mean, I, I love Bitcoin. I don't want I, Bitcoin shouldn't add these features at the base layer, but that doesn't mean we don't want to use it for something. And that's why I've loved the Lightning Network's gone completely parabolic. I mean, it's like up the the we, I don't call it this, but let's use common terminology, yeah. right? The the total value locked on Lightning of Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin locked in, in publicly visible channels is is through the roof over the last two months. Even um, I think if we can get things like RGB on Lightning um, to let us put tokens on lightning. I think if you had a stable coin on lightning, if you couple something like lightning with discrete log contracts, there's some really good developers working on DLCs. You start to see a, a truly Bitcoin native DeFi um, come forward. And again, it's just Bitcoin. It's locked on chain. It's nice and safe there. That's not, the approach. That's the approach. Yeah. Instead of starting another blockchain with another token, 
Bitcoin's approach was. So the way we're looking at Lightning is actually maybe a little bit. I was looking at it wrong the whole time. It's not like a Lightning network. It's a Lightning ecosystem. There are, there are dozens of companies and projects working on different variations of the Lightning protocol, if you will. So it's not right. just like one. It's multiple. So that, that the ecosystem model, kind of like what Cosmos is following or um, some of the other ones, Kava or whatever, like where you have multiple chains on top of one, I'm, I'm using other, you know, the yeah, yeah, yeah. blockchains as examples, but that might, and I think the, the smart scaling to wrapping it all up is better than fast scaling. This is proving to be the best system, the best way to do it, because you're not touching on-chain Bitcoin, except for maybe locking it, unlocking it, escrowing, you know, making Bitcoin like a self-sovereign uh, uh, contract in and of itself or moving it into something like that. That could be really cool, but that's about it. I don't want anything else. That's my favorite thing. I don't want to track the updates on the Bitcoin code base. I want there to be no updates. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say no updates, but I totally agree. I mean, we want to take this thing. Bitcoin is the, it's the, it's the ironclad chain. It's, it's obviously the original chain, right? Oh, it's the, it's the, can, yeah, canonical chain for, for a digital ledger. I mean, guys, we can, we gosh, we can track the Ethereum ICO on the Bitcoin blockchain, right? It all starts. Oh my God. Yeah. I forgot about that. That's so crazy. Yeah, like, You're right. It was Bitcoin, right? So the genesis um, of Ethereum was on Bitcoin. Yeah. And, and so it all goes back to Bitcoin, but that's also why it's so important that we don't, you know, we don't want to move fast and break things with Bitcoin. We, I mean, I think that that's the differentiator, right? There's no, no, no backwards compatible up, non backwards compatible upgrades, right? No hard forks. I think is a powerful ethos. Now, whether the Bitcoin community can hold to that forever remains to be seen. But I love that that's the view, right? That make this thing like, you know, bomb proof. Like, let's not have, you know, other networks say how much this will go back to this decentralization question, right? Um, They say we think there's some amount of decentralization that's enough, right? We want theoretically could say we want minimal, minimal viable decentralization. That's the view a lot of these networks take in order to add other features like higher throughput or whatever. And um the problem is you don't know how much you need. And when you when you follow Bitcoin development, um, what you find is that not only the developers, but the community, basically the view is if this upgrade has any centralizing force at all, it should be rejected. So every upgrade is to make Bitcoin more resilient and more decentralized. We don't know how much we need. So let's make let's push for as much as possible. Compare that to other networks where it's right. Oh, you know, we probably don't need that yeah. much. Let's just go, which is fine. I like that differentiation, but that's what makes Bitcoin so unique in this regard. I just would like to see more things like Lightning. You've got RSK. There's people buildings in that sort of Bitcoin, like whether it's layer two or sidechain ecosystem that lets you do more stuff. Um, but I also will point out there's a lot more you can do with your Bitcoin than people realize with things like DLCs. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. You need immutability. Vaults. It matters. You need a hundred percent decentralization. And uh, my wife and I were just watching a TV show the other night. Like uh, it was like Outer Banks on Netflix at, for at the stupidest show, but most stupid. I but watched it. it. <laughs> it's a great show. But the whole like, and I something rung on me about it. Where they were testing the gold, and you know, in the grungiest of little like pawn shops and on an island in the middle of nowhere, you can check if this gold is real by doing a simple acid test. And Bitcoin is the same way. You know, 100% when it hits that first confirmation, you could be in the middle of nowhere, anywhere. Satellite pigeon doesn't matter. That matters with a lot of these other blockchains that are still on that path. You can't trust it 100%. That's right. When you remove that, it's like, ah. 
that's what's so powerful. I mean, that's what really boggles the mind is the per- the permanence of Bitcoin, right? The the hardness. Let alone you throw in things like you know we haven't even talked yeah. about this monetary policy or anything like that. Which I'm not saying we have to. I'm just saying the network. It's so resilient. It's so permanent. It's so um, it is. It's like a giant stone tablet in the best way possible, right? Which is what I love about it. Um, it's you can trust it. I and and I know I don't. You know we're using the word trust. I, okay people like you know you know we don't mean like trust the, the, you don't have sure. to trust it right um but it's you know that it's up you know that it can run with i mean think about the china ban that happened i mean this mass exodus of hash rate this is this could go down they I actually banned of, what they could have banned too it's like we always said yeah. the way they could actually ban it is by kicking out all the miners or whatever right and they actually did it but it nothing happened i mean like no, the price and the hash rate yeah but no i mean nothing happened i mean this this could go down as one of the largest um, you know, assuming we start to see, and we have started to see some of that hash rate relocate to other jurisdictions, but go down as one of the largest like industrial migrations in world history. Yeah, with the with its underlying product completely unaffected. My friends, uh, my friends in China told me that they think it happened privately because China actually owns a lot of Bitcoin, and they wanted to hedge their role as a superpower. They didn't want that, this Bitcoin to be seen as like a China thing because they own so much of it. Yeah, I like the idea that you know. China controls Bitcoin. Well, now, now not only don't they not control anymore. It, yeah, I love it. Yeah, they they know they no longer control it, it even though they never controlled it. But um, now they uh, not only that they could do the worst thing that they could do to your point and have it and not hurt Bitcoin. I mean, that's the difficulty adjustment for you. It's a beautiful thing. Alex Thorne, thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories today. That's all the time we have. You're the head of firmwide research at Galaxy Digital, a publicly traded financial services company, investing, doing so many things for so many years. Thank you for taking the time. This has been so much fun. And I can't wait to talk again, to have you back on and and to talk about monetary policy and so many other things. Yeah. Thank you, Charlie. Really enjoyed being here. I'll see you later. Thank you.